Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast, a collection of conversations with cool people who do cool things. Brought to you by Papercraft Miracles. Each week, we'll bring you inspiring stories of persistence, passion, and purpose. With your host, Jonna Willoughby-Lore. Welcome to the Reach the Stars podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Jonna Willoughby-Lore, and today my guest is Jacob Ratliff. He is a client attraction coach. We're going to find out what that is. Um, And an entrepreneur based in Asheville, North Carolina, which is super close to my heart because that's where we went to the same college, but not nearly at the same time. So we're going to talk about that, too. Um, Using his identity and his lived experiences as the catalyst for creating his business, Jacob uplifts people and helps them grow their businesses by leaning into their authentic, confident, empowered selves. I'm going to let him tell you more about what it means to be a client attraction coach. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Donna, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. Um, So what is a client attraction coach? You know, honestly, I, for the past, you know, five years that I've been running this business, one of the constant questions I kept asking myself is, what, what do I actually call myself? What am I? Because I'm not really a marketer, although, you know, a lot of my professional experience is in marketing, but and I'm not really a consultant. What, what am I? And, you know, one day, probably about two years ago, it just kind of dawned on me, this client attraction coach um, as a title. And I, I was like, I think that might be it. And it turns out like the first person that ever like saw that title was like, Oh my goodness, a client attraction coach. I didn't know that was a thing, but that's exactly what I need. Let's work together. And I was like, cool. I didn't know it was a thing either, but let's work together. Um, So what a client attraction coach is really is I help people. I really focus with coaches and consultants who are really committed to making a difference in the world, in their clients' lives. Um, Because there's this false narrative, right, that you can either make a difference or you can make money. Well, you know, spoiler alert, you can do both. (laughs) And what I do is I help people find creative ways to share their gifts so that they can attract the perfect clients. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, if you want to look at it kind of nuts and bolts, it's a lot of social media marketing, stuff like that. But really at its core, it's more about helping really high impact coaches show up authentically as themselves online so they can attract the right people for them, the right people that they can help and whose lives that they can impact. So in a nutshell, that's what a client attraction coach is. So you're like helping people to put the vibes out there to be like the magnet for the people they want to hang out with and want to work with. Yeah. So, you know, I said that I really didn't resonate with kind of the word marketer. Mm -hmm. So a marketer might tell a client, all right, you need to post, you know, five times a week on social media, you need to engage, you need to comment. And those are all things that I help my clients with. Yes. But we actually go a level deeper and we say, all right, how are we posting and what are we posting in a way that doesn't, you know, a doesn't use those spammy sleazy marketing and sales tactics 
and be in a way that really resonates with their ideal client. Mm-hmm. So it's, so it's really kind of, you know, I'm going to say handholding relationship where it's not just, all right, these are the types of posts you need to make now go. It's great. Let's actually look at this all together and figure out what is the actual client attraction process that's going to work best for you. And that's going to really resonate and align with your values, not just as a business, but as a human. I like that. So it's, it's marketing, but with a, with a little bit more soul and depth to it. Yeah. Um, as, as an owner of a mission-driven business myself, um, it's interesting to notice the ways that traditional marketing doesn't work well for mission-driven businesses. Uh, And, you know, like that whole marketing funnel aspect, just, (laughs) it doesn't, it doesn't jive. Um, And I mean, obviously I am in the camp that of course you can, it's possible to have a mission-driven business that also is profitable um, and make money doing something that is also good for people. Um, but it's, it's really interesting where a lot of marketing experts will put themselves out there and say like, yeah, I can help anybody. Anybody could sell anything. <laughs> and you're like, mm, maybe not. Like, it doesn't work that yeah. way. And it's funny because I'm not a coach, but I tend to, because I like public speaking and I love performance and, you know, doing a TED talk and writing a book are definitely on my, my bucket list. And so I'm in a lot of Facebook groups with a lot of people who are coaches. And it's funny because I get so many of these messages like, Hey, I see that we both like are coaches and want to attract all these clients as coaches. And I'm like, I don't really fit in this message. Um, and it's just funny because there's, there's like you were saying, there's the the kind of spammy type of marketing techniques where someone's like, Hey, they put a post in a group and they're like, who wants to be part of this awesome new book that's coming out? Like send us your story. And then you send them <laughs> story and they're like, and I need a thousand dollars. And you're like, um, yeah. no. right. So I'm curious what, um, like what types of marketing techniques do you use to find your own clients that is not like that? Yeah. So at the end of the day, when it comes like what you're actually doing every day, the tactics are similar and it's about how you actually go about that and how you actually implement those. And, you know, one of the ways that I like to put it is you can use the same set of tactics, but you can treat it either as, a numbers game or a relationship game. So the people who are kind of sending messages like that, or they're sending the messages, you know, you've never talked with them. You have no clue who they are, but they're messaging you like, Hey, I think you'd be a great fit for this program. I help people do this, this, and this and make $3 million in two days. You know, <laughs> let's get on a call. $3 million in two days. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like they like lead with these like absurd promises that they're not going to make good on. And they just, because it's a number of because they know that if they send out a thousand of those messages that they will get, you know, probably at least 10 yeses. Um, and financially that works out. The numbers work out that way. 
-hmm. you also piss about a thousand people off in that process. Um, So maybe the numbers don't work out in that regard. But on paper, when you're looking at a profit and loss sheet, yeah, they're good. Mm -hmm. Or you can treat it as a relationship game, which is, you know, I want to build relationships with, you know, I say a hundred people, even, you know, even a hundred would be a lot. Um, and really build the relationship so that it's, you know, okay, great. You get, you know, 50 yeses out of that a hundred. Um, so you, you know, proportionately it makes a lot more sense and you're not, you know, pissing off a thousand people, mm-hmm. but But the other thing that's really interesting that comes up in this conversation is this idea of prescribing onto someone whether they are an ideal client. So if we look at these people who are playing the numbers game where they're sending the messages like, hey, I can help you do this. Um, Let's get on a call. What they are kind of subconsciously saying is you are an ideal client. I know I can help you. But that's probably not true. They, they have no way to actually know that until they talk to you. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we're treating it as this process of building a relationship, it's more along the lines of, hey, let's, let's get to know each other and really find out if they're an ideal client rather than prescribing that identity onto them. Exactly. And that, that's one of the big differences that shows up there. Yeah, because I think that... I get, I do get a lot of those, those yeah. random, random, Hey, let me group the coaches together type of messages. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's funny because if most of the people who are sending those to me, if they had taken even two minutes to Google my name, then they would know right off the bat that I'm not a coach. And like, yeah. they're totally wasting their time sending me stuff that is trying to be marketed toward coaches. Um, but I just, but they don't care because it's a numbers game. Yeah, exactly. They're sending out the thousand. They exactly. don't care that it doesn't, you know, actually fit you. Yeah. And and the way that I do my marketing, it's definitely relationship-based. I mean, if yeah. I'm in a Facebook group, I either want to meet interesting people to talk to on my show. Um and just increasing brand awareness of what I do in my company. And so it's not yeah. I never randomly just send messages to people and be like, Hey, we do this cool stuff. We make all these cool things. You know, you want to buy some. Yeah. That's just weird to me. So I will. And and when people are doing that, it's, you know, oftentimes, you know, if you, if you say, Oh, I'm not a coach, they they disappear. They're gone. Mm -hmm. They don't respond because they don't want to talk to anyone that's not their ideal client. And what that does is it closes the door to so many awesome opportunities. Um, because when you're growing a business, you don't just want to talk to people who could be clients because you're also building a network opportunities for further collaborations and partnerships. Like, and to me, that's one of the beautiful things about building a business is just connecting with so many really awesome people. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, that's, I think that's the number one reason I started doing this show in the first place. Well, A, it was pandemic. And I was like, oh my God, I need people because I'm a crazy extrovert. <laughs> I'm stuck at home with my introverted husband. Um, and I was like, I need to have intentional conversations with people and feel connected like that. And for me, I mean, my business is is totally relationship-based. And I never know if the person that I am talking to today 
is going to know somebody who is my ideal client. Like you never know who somebody knows. And if you're really authentic and genuine and it's obvious that you just, that you don't want anything from somebody else, you're curious to see what you could offer them and how this, how their relationship can benefit everybody and who they are as a person and what their story is and where they come from and how their experience can be something that you can learn from. And that's totally what I'm all about. It's like learning those, those connections. And I mean, it's funny because being in a lot of these Facebook groups for coaches has been an interesting experience for me because I've worked with several different coaches and I definitely would not be where I am right now were it not for business coaching for sure. And just by being in one of those groups, I randomly met you and then it randomly showed up that we went to the same teeny, teeny, tiny little college in North Carolina. Like so random. Um, and when you think about how many people actually go to Warren Wilson college, I mean, when I went there, there was 800 students. That seems massive. When I was there, I think there were 600. Yeah. It was including all the, all of the students that didn't live on the campus. I think there was like Mm eight students total. And it was like summer camp with classes. (laughs) (laughs) It was so much fun. And if you think about that, that there's, you know, 800 people every year, a maximum, right? Like, what is the probability that we would meet each other in the same group? I mean, like that's the kind of math you could do on a little post-it. You know what I mean? Like how many people that would be amongst how many people on Facebook? It was just so random. And I'm pretty sure that I met you in the Connection Hub group. Mm -hmm. I think so. Which is a a Facebook group put together by women who live in the UK. It's so random. Like, I just love it. I love it. So I'm curious. Um, I want to know more about you outside of being a coach. Like, before you went to Warren Wilson, like, what was your... What was your adolescence and your childhood experience like? Like, where where are you from originally and all that kind of stuff? I love that. More, more. Yeah, I'm a, more. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you all the things. Um, so I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, which is, you know, the biggest city in North Carolina. And I, you know, in high school, I was an out queer kid um, going to the biggest high school in the state um, in a really moneyed, white, conservative neighborhood. Um, now, fortunately, um, you know, I really didn't have a hard time, you know, being bullied in school or anything. I had and still have really amazing supportive parents. You know, my my birthday was last weekend and my mom came up and we went to a drag show together. Um, so really, really fortunate to have you know such amazing supportive parents and so I, so I grew up in this, you know, really, you know, pretty strict, you know, Christian culture though, um, just by virtue of the neighborhood and area that I was in. And so my choice to go to Warren Wilson was in some ways a complete 180. Um, in some ways not, but in some, but in a lot of ways, it was very much a rejection of what my life had been like so far. Um, and, you know, I kind of 
So I had, so coming out of Warren Wilson, I had these two contexts. This pre Warren Wilson Jacob was the, you know, white, you know, capitalist kind of steep, like grew up with, you know, I went to school with the, you know, I think with bank president's daughters type thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And very much steeped in that culture. And then Warren Wilson, very much steeped in anti-capitalist, really change-making culture that I loved. And there I was spit out into the world with these like two contexts for understanding the world that were really at opposite ends of the spectrum in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was really a matter of finding that middle ground for me. Um, and kind of how I can really take the really valuable pieces from my high school experience and take the really valuable pieces of my college experience and start to be able to build a business that a lot that, you know, brought those two things together. And one of the great things was, you know, right out of college, I had a really amazing full-time marketing position for a, for an equally amazing health and wellness company based in Asheville. Um, So that was kind of my first framework for experiencing how a business can make really amazing change in the world and in their clients' lives and also turn a profit. Mm -hmm. So I had that as a really great model um, as I started to, you know, while I was in that position, start taking on some freelance work and then eventually, you know, start the actual business. That's awesome. So I'm curious, did you know about Warren Wilson before you started looking for colleges? Had you heard of it before? The first time I visited Warren Wilson, I was probably 12 years old. Um, I, I like even went into the admissions office as a little as a little 12 year old. So growing up, uh, my family spent the spent summers vacationing um, near Asheville. We, you know, we've had a family house, um, in the mountains that we've, you know, families have for like a hundred years. And so we'd spent summers all in this area. So it was already like a second home to me. And there were two things that really appealed to me about Warren Wilson, because we would drive past every time we would go into Asheville, we'd drive past the Warren Wilson sign. And my dad would say, you should look at Warren Wilson. And I was like, Oh, whatever, dad. And <laughs> Because, right, that's, you know, I was 12. Um, and, but there were two things that really appealed to me. The first one was their creative writing program. Now, I, I ended up not studying creative writing as my major, um, but that was one of the things that attracted me. And the second one Same. was their work program. I'm sorry, what was that? Same. Yep. That's, yeah. why, I, that's why I found out about them. What, what, did you, what did you end up majoring in? Um, I did integrative studies and I created nice. my own major and did entrepreneurial business and creative art integrated together as one major. Awesome. I did English literature. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so the creative writing program, the other thing was the work program, which is, you know, for those of you listening, you know, when you go to college, you know, from you know, figuring out your financial aids, one of the options tends to be a work study program. Mm-hmm. Um, which is where you have an on-campus job to kind of pay part of your tuition. At Warren Wilson, every student has a work study, um, and it is a graduation requirement to be a part of that program. 
And, um, you know, there's like a hundred different work crews on campus all the way from, um, you know, putting on student life events to clean, um, you know, cleaning the bathrooms and the dorms. Yeah. So it's, and that's such a beautiful thing about the college is that really students in a lot of ways run it, Mm -hmm. um, run those day-to-day operations. And so my first work crew that I was in was actually in the work program office, um, in the office that ran the work program. Cool. And that was, I mean, A, a relief, because I was so worried I was going to be, like, chopping down trees or weed-whacking the gardens. Um, because, would have had a bunch of toilets on the plumbing crew? <laughs> yeah, that would have been, like, I was I was horrified that that's where I would end up. Um, so but this was my first you know, experience in, a, in an office, um, in an office that, you know, has a lot of responsibility in, in the institution. And so that was such a major part, you know, ended up being such a major part of my education in there. Yeah. My first work crew there, I was on the development crew. Uh-huh. Um, so pretty much we sent birthday cards to alumni and donors to the campus and yeah collated mailings and did stuff like that but we also cleaned the building at larson i think, mm-hmm. it, I think it was larson if i remember correctly. Yeah. a very long time ago now um and it's just it was so weird to be like okay i'm going away to college i'm gonna study i had no idea what i was really gonna study when i went away to school but mm-hmm. I got a creative writing scholarship to go there and because I'd won that scholarship and they had all these other grants and then need-based funding and stuff like that, it ended up being cheaper for me to go to Warren Wilson, move across the country and live on campus than if I stayed here in Buffalo and took the bus to UB. Yeah, that's still the case, I think, very much so for a lot of students. Yeah, I mean, and it was the kind of thing where I never thought I would be able to go to a private school or go away to school unless I had a full scholarship. And when I did my SATs and I put on there that I like creative writing, then of course all of the colleges start spamming you like crazy with mailers. (laughs) And I was so, as a senior in high school, I was so overwhelmed with like all the college stuff. And my mom was sick at the time and my brother was going to college on the other side of the state. So he wasn't around and it was a weird experience for me because I had already kind of been mothering my mom for a long time and like sort of taking care of her, um, even though she had a jobs and was going to work and doing stuff like that. But in, in a lot of ways, I had to be more of an adult than I wanted to be at that point. And and I don't know if it was the same. It seems like it was in your household. But when I was a kid, it was like the way my family was, it was like every night you you brush your teeth, you wash your face, you go to college. If you're not going to college, you better have a damn good plan of something else that you're going to do. And okay. I, go ahead. Go so ahead. I, just, I had no idea what I really wanted to do, but I knew that so many people just kept asking me and asking me like, Oh, what are you going to go to college for? What are you going to do? What do you want to be when you grow up and all this shit? And I was like, I'm just ready to be done with high yeah. school. And I don't know what the hell is coming next. And my mom started sifting through all these brochures and she found the brochure for Warren Wilson and saw that, it, that they had this creative writing scholarship. And she was like, you should take a look at this school. And at this point 
I don't know who was on their marketing team, but this brochure was so outdated. Like it had like people on the front with like these big old seventies Coke bottle glasses. I was like, where did they get these pictures? Probably still using the same brochure, which is, I just love. Yeah. (laughs) It was was just so weird. And my mom was like, look at this school. This looks really cool. They have this work program and the service program and you go to class and you go to work and you get a job and they got this scholarship. You should check them out. I'm like, whatever, mom, those people look like nerds. Like I'm not going there. And she was like, well, they have this scholarship. Your poems are really good. You should send them some poems and see what happens. And I was like, whatever, mom, I'm like a surly ass teenager. And I was like, you, you know, which poems are good. You pick them out and you send them in. And she did. And I won it. And it was like, it changed my whole life. I mean, I would not be who I am today had she not done that. And just like being able to go to Warren Wilson and I, there were no people from Buffalo there. I didn't know a single person. I had never been there before. I hadn't even visited it when I said yes, that I would go there, like never set foot on the campus at all. And I was like, well, this is what I'm doing. I'm moving across the country to go meet a whole bunch of new people. Let's see how this goes. And it was at the time I was super punk rock. I mean, I had like super short lime green hair and this is in like 2000. This is not it was not the standard to go across the South and see anybody who looked like a punked out potential lesbian. Right. Cause that's definitely my, that was my outward appearance in the world. And it was a little scary to be like, I'm going to go live in the middle of the Bible belt <laughs> looking like I look uh, with my giant skater pants and my skateboard. <laughs> um, but as soon as I set foot on the campus, I just felt this energy, this like creative energy there. And I was like, I love writing poems, but I need to do more than that. And I don't know if it had something to do with the fact that there's all that mica in the soil, but like the (laughs) ground in Asheville sparkles. Like, oh yeah. As soon as I got there, I was like, this whole place is glittery, like everywhere. And it was just so magical. And being able to be in that environment and because of the way the school is structured, you live in the dorms with people and you go to class with people and you work with people and you do service with people and they're not the same people. And I think that colleges that aren't set up like that, typically you got the people you live with and the people go to class with. And like you get your core little group of eight people, 10 people you hang out with and like, that's it. And because of the way Warren Wilson is set up, it forces you to get to know people who aren't necessarily studying the same things that you are. Um, and you work with different people and you go do service with different people and you just, you inter- it forces you to interact with people. And because it's so small, you, I don't know, it really feels like summer camp, you know, yeah. it's yeah, thing, work together yeah. and stuff like that. I just love that. You know, one thing that kind of is going through my head as we're talking is like my guess is that we can like totally talk for like four more hours about Warren Wilson, about how great it is, why it's so great. And what I'm thinking of kind of as we're having this conversation is for me, and I don't know if the same experience holds true for you. The reason it has been so influential on my life is because it was one of the first places where I really found my people. Mm-hmm. And not that, you know, I'd look around and everyone, you know, looks or thinks the same as me, 
but it was my people. And it was one of my first experiences of that. And, you know, kind of mirroring it into my like, you know, post-graduation life more recently, um, the times when I've been struggling with my business have been times when I was detached from my people, when I didn't have kind of business circles that were, you know, like I said, you know, my kind of group. Mm -hmm. And once I did find that, right, everything changed. Was that, is that the same experience you had around kind of, you know, finding Uh your... Um, group at Warren Wilson? Yeah, I mean, it was funny because I remember the first day that I moved into the dorms, into Vining, which I know is not set up the way it was when I went there. But the first day that I moved into Vining and then everybody's parents left, um, our whole entire floor of girls was all the girls that only hung out with the guys. You know what I mean? It was like all the cool girls all lived on the same. They were all girls who maybe back home had one or two girlfriends, but mostly hung out with guys. And all of a sudden there was like 25 of the most dopest chicks ever who all lived in the same building at the same time. And we like our whole class together, um, like our whole floor was like a crazy party floor. It was a different college yeah. than it is now. <laughs> um, Pre-Shaver Fire um, was definitely a different college than the way it is now. But it was so amazing to instantaneously like have this community of other amazing women who had always been, who had always kind of felt like the outcasts. And and I, I don't know if they still use the slogan, we're not for everyone, but then again, maybe you're not everyone. Cause that was the slogan when I, that was on the brochure. Yeah. But they don't use that anymore. Yeah, they but, don't use it anymore. But I, like, I felt that so hard, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. exactly. I just, I got there and I was like, all of the people who kind of got singled out in high school as being a little weird, mm-hmm. all those people go to college here. And like, if you're the football playing jock, you don't fit in. <laughs> like there is no football team. There are no fraternities like that aspect is just absent from college life there. And mm-hmm. it made it so that's, I think for me, that's what made it so much more like summer camp because it was yeah. so inclusive of everybody. Aside mm-hmm. from the football players, I guess. Um, but it, it was like, there were obviously like little subsets, like there was the D and D nerds. And then there were like <laughs> the Bubba's who are like the good old boys who were going to school there because it was out in the mountains and they're all, you know, oh, they yeah. had, if they could have a shotgun in their room, they probably would, you know, like there was that, there was like that subset. And then there was like the punk rock kids. And then there was like the white hippie kids with giant dreads. And like, there was like all of, all of the weirdos um, all went to school there at the same time. And I just love that. It was magical. The Warren Wilson bubble is a real thing though. I mean, I yeah. remember when I first went there, <laughs> it was weird if you as a, as a woman going there, it was weird. If you shaved, like mm-hmm. you were the weird one that didn't have armpit hair. <laughs> I mean, it's very much still that way for sure. Yeah. yeah. And then if you go home till your regular life in the in summer, summer break, and you're like, yeah, I got armpit hair. And people are like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I, um, I think it's still like that. It's just so weird. Oh, it definitely is. I miss the bubble. I, and I, you know, one of the beautiful things is, Right now, I live about four minutes from campus. Um, so, it's, I mean, and some of my best friends, you know, are staff there now. You know, people who I went to college with who are, you know, working in admissions now. 
But I remember first day moving in into Sunderland, um, the the infamous Dr. Dr. Bradshaw knocked on my door. Um, he's, you know, old English professor who's as old as the college itself. Right. He was and, old when I went to school there and I definitely went to school there almost 20 years before you did. Yeah, you know? yeah exactly. Um, he's also not that old. He just seems a lot older than he actually is. Like right now, he's like only 65. What? No, right? he looked old as crap when I went to school. I, he's all, yes. But anyway, he knocked on, he knocked on my dorm, on the door to my dorm and said, is this, is this Jacob Ratliff? And I said, yeah. And he handed me this lovely handwritten letter with a tea bag in the envelope and said, I hope you'll come have tea with me. Um, sometime this week. And I ended up going and, you know, he ended up being my academic advisor. He ended up being favorite, one of my favorite professors, such an amazing mentor. And I just can't help but thinking like that would not have happened at any other school. Yep. Oh man. Because I know he, you know, he didn't do that to anyone else um, that I know of at least. Like it wasn't like he was knocking on everyone's door. Yeah. But, and he, you know, is, a lot of the reason I ended up being an English major at that school. I was always so it's funny because once I got there, I initially wanted to go there for creative writing, but they didn't have a creative writing major as an undergrad when I went there. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. They only had it as the master's program. And um, I started looking and I was like, well, I want to do mostly creative writing. Like I want to write poetry. I want to perform poetry. That's what I want to do. And I was looking at the English lit like the ELA programming. And I was like, you know, I really don't want to take Chaucer like ever. Nope. I don't want to do that. Like I just, that's not my cup of tea. I don't want to do it. And like my freshman year looking through the course catalog and I was looking at all of the required courses for that major. And I was like, I don't want to do like any of those except mm-hmm. like the two poetry classes that they had. And I was like, well, I could take those even if I majored in something else. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. But looking through the course catalog, I saw all of these really awesome art classes. And mm-hmm. I saw that they had bookbinding classes and paper making classes and all of these different book arts and fabric art classes. And then they also, I don't know if Bill Mosier's still teaching there. He's probably ancient at this point. I think he actually might be. Oh my God, that guy. Um, but he was my... Um, you know, like freshman year that they make you take that freshman composition class. I can't mm-hmm. remember what they call it, um, but he was the teacher for that class. And it was like a journaling class. Yeah. And, um, the whole point of it was to like write in your journal every day about your experience and share it with the people in the class. And I was like, this is a class. What? This is amazing. So I immediately signed up for like every other class that he was teaching. So I took Gandhi search for truth with him. And then I took another class with him called myth search for meaning. And the myth class was so freaking cool. And it was about people talking about their experiences with weird shit. And like things that had happened to them personally, things that had stories that had been told in their families of like mysticism and like unexplained happenstance and things like that. So we were like writing about these weird shit experiences and then sharing them together as a group. And I was like, this is the coolest school ever. (laughs) 
And so I, at the end of my freshman year, I'd taken um, book, but I ended up taking artist books and illustration with Gwen Dean. And I know that she was not working there anymore by the time you went there, but she was like this amazing teacher. And when I initially was signing up for classes, I wanted to take papermaking and bookbinding, but they were both full in the first semester. And she said, well, I would take this artist books and illustration class because you can learn how to do all the basic bookbinding, but you'll also learn how to illustrate and like use all these tools in the studio. She's like, it's way more inclusive and it's a harder class, but there's spaces in it. So take that. So I took that class. And then in the spring I took papermaking and I took this fabric art class and I took art of the beat generation, which was like, uh, right. It was, I mean, and that counted as some kind of class. And at the end of the year, my advisor was John Casey. Uh Oh my God. Mm. God rest in soul rest in peace oh my god he was the coolest freaking dude so he's my advisor and I at the end of my first year I went and met with him and I was like hey bud these are all the classes I took this year what major am I working towards he goes those are all electives so (laughs) and I was like um well shit like what am I supposed to do um and I was like I'm here on a scholarship I cannot have wasted an entire year like I can't uh any other school would have been like, well, suck it up, major in communications or something. You know what I mean? Um, start all over pretty much. And instead of any of that, he said, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I love making paper. I love making books. I love writing poetry and using my creativity. I want to be some kind of artist and I don't want to be broke. How do I do that? And he said, you should do that as your major. I was like, what are you talking about? That's not, how is that even a thing? And he, then he told me that they had this integrative studies major. And he's like, it's not an easy program. You have to make up your own major. You need to outline every single class you want to take in all the rest of your three years right now and justify why you can't do a double major, why you have to use this specific, specific curriculum um, and make sure that you pick a class that covers all of the required courses um, that you need to graduate and you need to have an outline for a thesis project and you need to have an idea for an independent study that you can do as a senior and uh, get get on that. You got to present it in September. (laughs) And I was like, I'm totally doing that. And I ended up being able to major in exactly what I wanted to do. And the range of classes that I got to fit the different things that like met the qualifications to, to graduate. Like we had to take a religion class. So I took Buddhism in America. I was like, that is so dope. You know, and we had to take some kind of world civilization class. So I took East Asian civilization with Dr. Han and I learned all about like Zen Buddhism and the differences in like mm-hmm. Eastern culture compared to Western culture. And the one, oh, Dr. Han. <laughs> the one humanities class that I took was with Sam Scoville and it was called readings in humanities. And the way that this class was set up, like fundamentally changed the way I thought about education forever. Oh, yeah. And the first day that for anyone who's never like heard of Warren Wilson, like go check it out because it's cool as crap. Obviously, we're talking about it a lot. But this class, you walk in on the first day, there's a note on the board that says, take the piece of paper that's on the table, read it, write a response, turn it in. See you later. Yeah. And The thing that you pick up to read pretty much said this class is a metaphorical journey 
of taking a motorcycle and driving from Asheville to Santa Barbara in your mind. Like this class will change the way that you think fundamentally. That's what it's designed for. And our textbook is this book that is called The Passion of the Western Mind, which is like the entire history of how Western thought was conceived. And like the book was this big. And I'm pretty sure over the course of the entire class, I read like 12 pages of it because I was like, my mind is blown now. (laughs) And I ended up like reading this whole paper about this class. And he said in it that there was the reading we were going to do in the class was called follow your nose reading K N O W S. And he was like, if you're reading something and it's not serving you, put it, put it down and read something else. And that whole idea of like being responsible for what serves you. And if things are not serving you, don't bother with them. Don't waste your time with it. And like that class and that mindset and the way that he went through linguistics and like the history and the origins of different words and what they really mean and why they were created to describe certain things. Like there's one word that we talked about that I'll never, ever forget. He was talking about the word chaos. And most people, when they hear the word chaos, they think about things being all over the place. And he was like, not so. That word actually comes from the root of it is chasm, which is a space or a gap in which randomness and order occur at the same time. And just like reframing the way that we visualize the world. And I was like, that's so dope. <laughs> like, yeah, that's, all that's, about it. My, that's my exact experience with him as well. Oh, um, of course, but you know, by the time I was taking a class with him, he was kind of ambling in on a walker um but yeah that that man also just changed the way i think about everything Mm -hmm. Um, really transformed me for sure yeah it's it's just so crazy like warren wilson is the kind of school where even though it's in the mountains and like getting to each class building is like literal exercise right like you're like hoofing it up and down the mountains every day i was so fit then Uh, Uh, yeah that the teachers will continue wanting to teach there even when they have to like hike up the mountain with a walker and they're like, I'm going, I'm doing this. I am not, I am not going to quit until I literally die. Oh, when, um, when it snows, whenever it snows, Dr. Bradshaw walks in the snow to teach his, to teach his classes for the day, no matter what walks in the snow at least like two or three miles from his house yeah it's amazing it's amazing it's a very special place so for people out there who have not yet gone to college or who have kids who are looking at colleges go check out warren wilson this yeah. is a paid advertisement <laughs> yeah this episode is sponsored by warren wilson college um all right so before we run out of time Um, at the end of all of my episodes, I ask all the guests the same five questions. So it's five question time. The first question is tell me about an experience or a single moment that shaped who you are today. It was when I, the first client I ever took, um, I was talking with 
one of my good friends and he said, Hey, my husband, you know, has his own business really needs some marketing help. I know you're busy. I know you have a full-time job. Would you consider talking with him and maybe working with him? Um, I did not have the time. Didn't really want to, but I did anyway. And that was the first client I ever took. And that was the, that was the beginning of my business. So that's the moment right there. So when you first met with him and you were like, I don't really have time for this. I'm not sure I even want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. What was like when you actually did meet with him, was it immediately like, Oh, that was way cool. I want to do that lots more. Or was it like, Oh, that was worth doing. <laughs> like, it, What did it feel it like? It was, it was definitely this like immediate, like as soon as I said, yes, I'll do it. Um, there was this, Oh, this, this is actually pretty cool. Awesome. I'm always interested to like, yeah, hear, hear other people's like aha moment. <laughs> um, okay. Number two, when you feel defeated or overcome, what do you tell yourself to keep going? Um, so the same friend from question number one, um, his name is Brian and he, he actually used to be the chaplain at Warren Wilson, um, because of course, um, I was going, I was going through a really hard time in college and he, one of the things he said to me was keep breathing. Today is not your forever. And that's what I tell myself whenever I feel defeated. It's keep breathing. Today is not your forever. I love that. Ryan, that's the title of the show. Okay, bud. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Number three, tell me about a way that you overcame a failure or a mistake and what you learned from it. Um, couple, several years ago, I guess it was really when I was first getting started, I took on a huge client that I really that was that needed more than I could offer. And I decided to work with her anyway. And it was disastrous. And that, that, that experience really taught me that I need to focus on, focus on my strengths first and foremost. And if I kind of move away from those strengths, not to do so, so dramatically. Um, It was really helpful in helping me realize where exactly my zone of genius is in. Awesome. Uh, Number four, what one trait or habit is most responsible for keeping you on track? Waking up at the same time every day. I don't wake up early. I don't wake up ridiculously early, but I wake up at 7.30 every morning. Um, Because I'm not not really a morning person, but that consistency um, has really helped keep me on track. I love this question because I just find it so interesting how different people answer the same question in totally different ways. And this one is like the big highlight of how different that is. Cause some people will say like, I get up at the same time every day, or I make sure that I meditate or I only drink tea and I don't drink coffee or whatever. And then other people are like, Oh, I got lots of grit. 
you know, a podcast has nothing to do with something that they're physically doing every day, but they're like, that's the trait that I have. And so it's interesting yeah. how, cause it's like a trait or a habit and it's, it's people hear it in different ways, but I love that. Yeah. And the habit is what helps me mm-hmm. with those, you know, maintain those traits. Yes. I do bullet journaling. That's my, that's my, I do too. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's literally the only planner that I can keep up with because ADHD I have a giant collection of planners that I used until February and then they're blank. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah. So bullet journaling, that's a plus. Um, number five, what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? And what advice would you give to other people? Hmm. The best piece of advice I've ever gotten is don't set your expectation. Well, be mindful of the standards that you hold yourself to. Um, because I'm a constant overachiever. I'm a, you know, I hold myself to absurd standards, often to my detriment. And I can, you know, if I lower my standards by 50%, I'm still an overachiever. So, and that's the advice I give people um, is not everything has to be perfect or you and you don't have to overachieve by overachieve by 200%. Just achieving is enough. <laughs> exactly. Story of my life. Um, I saw this post the other day that um, was talking about people who have ADHD and because a lot of people who have ADHD have been told their whole lives that they could do better if they just tried harder, um, that it it forces you to have these like insane expectations for yourself that you Mm-hmm. you should be achieving greatness and you should be like curing cancer and also being a rock star and then being amazing at like all the things that you are doing and that you should be capable of all those things. And that it forces a lot of people to put these crazy expectations on themselves like that. Um, and that usually it ends up that as adults, we're all like talking to our therapists and saying, Oh, well, this is what I, you know, I, I can't keep up with this and I can't do this right. And I can't do this right. And then therapist is like normal, like most people don't have those expectations. And then you're just like, but I'm not normal. Like what? Of course. Yeah. I should be taking over the world, pinky, you know? <laughs> exactly. Which is so wild. I don't know. Makes me think about that a lot. It's one of those things I have to constantly remember i think i talk about it on almost every show that is one of the best things i learned from one of my coaches that done is better than perfect yeah oh yeah and sometimes like well i'll be working on a project and as an artist too there's it's whenever i'm creating art it's never as cool as i imagine it to be in my head when it is done and then people who are not artists buy it for me and they're like this is amazing and i'm like "Eh, it's all right Yeah. But it has been really helpful to be like, done is better than perfect. Done is better than mm-hmm. perfect. Because it just, the more I focus on that, it stops that whole paralysis of if I don't have the energy or the effort or whatever to make it perfect, then I can't do any of it. Yeah. And it, it helps to like, at least have a, a starting point to be like, it's cool. Just put it out there. Do it. So that's my advice that I'm leaving everyone with. Done is better than perfect. Yeah. Just start doing whatever it is that you keep saying you want to do, but you're not doing it. 
do it. Just do it. Just do it. Do it. <laughs> All right. Can you tell everybody where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. So you can find me on Facebook. My name is Jacob Ratliff. You can find me at jacobratliff.com or on Instagram at jacob.ratliff. Um, it's not clear. My name is Jacob Ratliff. <laughs> <laughs> we will have all those links in the show notes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thanks for being here, Jacob. And uh, we are actually coming up on our one-year anniversary pretty soon of this podcast. 52, almost at 52 weeks in a row of putting out a show every single week, which for somebody with ADHD is kind of an amazing feat to do something. For anybody, that's an amazing feat. <laughs> like do something consistently and, and have it show up. Um, I have lots of help to make it happen. So thanks, Ryan. And uh, thanks, Adriana, out there for making all these things happen with our show. Um, but stay tuned on our social media because we are going to be doing a really fun contest giveaway with a lot of fun prizes from our past guests who've been on the show so keep your eyes peeled to our social media for announcements about that contest in august um yeah thanks for being with us on the reach to start podcast i am your host john willoughby lore and yeah we'll see you next week y'all bye a single interaction has the power to change your life forever this is a place for the stories of those moments stories of pursuing dreams overcoming tragedy and failure, of coming back to life after so much of what feels like dying, of continuing on with only a vision as a map. This is the place where those moments live on. Come sit by the fire, look up at the stars, and be forever changed too. Thank you for being with us on the Reach the Stars podcast. Our theme music is generously provided by Byrocratic. You can find him on Bandcamp.com. Thank you to all of our current patrons, guests, and everyone else who helps make this dream a reality. We are so proud to be building this amazing community with all of you. If you love this podcast, please consider sharing with a friend, leaving a review on iTunes, and becoming a patron at www.patreon.com slash reach the stars. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see the videos of these conversations. We'll see you next week. In the meantime, do something cool and tell us about it.